Hello and welcome to another episode of Screen Wars, our thought leader series, where we learn from industry experts about the latest trends and challenges from across the convergent TV space. Hosted by Michael Beach. Today, I'm joined by Laura Martin. Laura is currently the Senior Entertainment Internet Analyst at Needham & Company. Uh, I really enjoy all of Lauren's research um, you know, because it's both you know, well thought out and with, you know, with a clear worldview. Uh, you know, we get into a lot of stuff here in a short amount of time. This is probably one of our most uh, densely packed with just fantastic information podcasts we've done yet in the this episode number 55. Um, you know, one of the areas we cover, which is near and dear to our heart, is the, you know, advertising market. You know, Laura is extremely bullish on uh, companies with a, uh, uh, that are advertising heavy. Uh, another area we cover kind of related to that is, you know, potential buyers for an ABC or a, a Paramount. Uh, we discussed this at the uh, Needham conference a few months back in New York. Uh, you know, private equity on one end and companies like Apple and Amazon on the other. Uh, you know, another area that's really timely is uh, the convergence of user-generated content with um, generative AI. So think about, you know, TikTok and YouTube. Uh, we also discussed this back at the, the Needham conference where uh, is YouTube TV. You know, we've talked about this recently with Mike Shields and and, and Brian Weezer. Uh, you know, Laura and I kind of cover that from a different angle, uh, but right now with the both the actors and writers on strike, uh, you know, big negotiation there is um, you know putting guardrails around how much generative AI can be used in Hollywood, and then we'll get the flip side where if you're in the user generated content side, which is trying to redefine itself as TV, they're already using this right, and there are no guardrails in place, and it could really lead to a higher volume of, of better content coming from that side, which already has a cost advantage. And, um, and again, you're getting back to that, you know, algorithmic driven TV where you've got a million great pieces of content that a TikTok or a YouTube curates a custom feed for you versus kind of the traditional TV model. Um, you know, we really just see a kind of a convergence of those two trends there. So please enjoy my conversation with Laura Martin. Hey, Laura, welcome to Screen Wars. Thank you. I love being here. Excellent. Well, kind of give us the, the story on uh, Needham and Company and who your customers are and how you make money. Sure. So Needham is a broker dealer. We have uh, three three main divisions, investment banking, sales and trading, and I'm in the research division. So I publish what's called sell-side research, buy, sell and hold on a specific uh, number of companies, typically within an industry. My industry is media, and I also cover the large tech, so Apple, Amazon, Google, and Facebook. Um, and then, um, like, I have, there are about uh, 25 analysts here, and some of them cover biotech or crypto or, you know, um, I want to call it marijuana, but maybe that's not its name. But anyway, they all have specializations and they're all in research and we write recommendations by cell hold in the research department here. Yeah, you produce you know, outstanding research, uh, you know, must read for our team and uh, we really have a point of view, which I like. Uh, we're kind of wrapping up earnings season right now. What, what has stood out to you so far? Um, I think what stood out to me so far is the bifurcation between um, CTV is slower. It has been really the driver in digital and it really slowed down a lot. And so companies with the most pure play CTV like Roku and Vizio missed. And then whereas Trade Desk, which is 40% CTV, it was fine. It was up 23%. So bifurcation size, bigger is doing better than smaller. 
Um, and then also bifurcation like CTV, not the key driver it has been for the last two years and sort of underperforming more like mobile and desktop, which is a real turnabout um, from the past. Do you think that's more uh, like performance-based versus branding or that's some, there's something else there? I do. I think performance-based, I think advertising is turning, but I think performance comes back first because it's a clear return on investment, right? And brands come back slower because they want to see that consumer demand is healthy. Whereas performance, you know, you put 20 bucks or 40 bucks on Facebook, and if you can sell $40 worth of stuff, you spend the $20 the next week and because you can sell $40 worth of stuff. So performance, I think, is faster in both directions to disconnect and to re-begin. Re um, and so I think that's what's happening is that the search and social and TikTok, which are sort of bottom of funnel, are much more are coming back already. And brands are slower, as evidenced by a weak upfront market, very mediocre upfront market. And that's brands being slow. Yeah, no, it's starting to show up. Uh, you know, finally, it looks like the gravity of of declining, you know, inventory and reach and uh, you know, ratings is maybe finally starting to catch up with the, uh, the upfront season. Um, maybe. Okay. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, I'm gonna ask you kind of who you're bullish for and who you're bearish on specifically in the TV sector. You're linear and and uh, you know streaming together. Um, who are you bullish on and why? So my seat is to pick stocks. So where we are right now is I really want to be in 100% ad-driven stocks. So if you limit me to like the linear uh, TV ecosystem, then I want to be with the guy that has the most ad revenue as a percent of total. So for example, Disney has theme parks. That's bad in my war, in my sort of strategy right now. It has um, consumer products. That's not great. It has linear TV. That's not wonderful because ESPN is 70% subscription revenue or payments from Comcast actually, um, and only 30%. So only 11% of Disney's total revenue comes from advertising. That means I don't like it because I want to be as much at leverage to the ad cycle as possible. So I like Roku, which is like 80% advertising. Um, not 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 really busy at this point because they have two billion dollars of device sales. So like I like Trade Desk a lot. I like Double Verify a lot. Magnite's down thirty percent today. I like that a lot. Why? It's one hundred percent advertising. So what happens when the ad cycle turns is that it takes Wall Street analysts like me about eight quarters to catch up with the earnings per share over delivery because advertising revenue is so profitable. So we just lag. So the stocks just move up and they move up and they move up and earnings revisions are upwards, 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 because we just can't keep up with how profitable ad dollars are. So that's where I want to be. The most ad revenue you can give me, that's where I want to be putting money to work in the stock market today in my space. And that's always or just in the, in the part of the cycle we're in now? Just right now, I've been really negative about the ad cycle for 18 months. I was like, buy Apple, it's safe, no advertising. But I think the ad cycle is now turned. And so now we're like, get the heck out of Apple, get out of Amazon, get out of anything that isn't 100% ad driven and, and just play the ad cycle in media, which is my the space I, the companies I cover in media. So obviously the you're, you're bullish on advertising. Do you see an yep. advantage to being a linear company that's moving, that's ad focused, moving into streaming or a streaming pure play with where kind of, you know, TV is going? So I think the problem is you have to have sisters, you have to be globally scaled and you have to have sister subsidiaries um, because right now streaming doesn't make money. So if you're a pure play streamer, like for example, Netflix, that's a problem because it's completely unclear. Um, I mean, luckily, 
with the writers and the SAG on strike, these all these companies are going to over deliver at least free cash flow and maybe even earnings. Um, but if they weren't on strike, there's these huge linear losses, which in a rising interest rate environment is Wall Street does not like. So it's better to have a sister subsidiary called, you know, e-commerce at Amazon or um, over here at like Paramount, which has Linear or Warner Brothers Discovery, which has the film studio. Really nice to have sister subsidiaries that can subsidize those losses in streaming because streaming is still losing money across the board. All right, we kind of answered one of my questions here, but I'll rephrase it a little differently. Um, I often think, uh, reading this research, you know, what would Laura Martin do here? Someone asked you this question directly. Uh, if you were running a legacy media company right now, making the transition to streaming, uh, how aggressive would you be um, in that transition? Obviously, thinking about the uh, innovators' dilemma here, how fast would you uh, move to that risk uh, disrupting profits and cash flow? the sake of moving into streaming. So, so this is the Disney answer, right? What Iger did starting three years ago. And for a while it works like maybe 12 months. It was, you know, that, you know, he, he drove his valuation multiple up. Um, the issue today is linear TV is not even mature. It's past the level of maturity. It's now shrinking, but a massive cash cow and streaming is no longer growing. We have saturation. People are net disconnecting from streaming. They have too many services. It's too confusing. They can't find the content they want. So we're getting a rebundling over here in streaming to make the value, the go-to-market proposition um, easier for the consumer to choose. So we have one that's mature and one that's past mature. What that means is revenue growth goes negative and capitalism has a lot of trouble allocating. Capitalism meaning my world. If I buy a share today and you're going to grow revenue 10%, I'm going to be able to sell the share for 10% more next year, assuming valuation multiples stay constant. The minute you have negative revenue growth, it's a big problem. Nobody wants to buy your shares because next year you'd have to sell them at a cheaper price. So if we have a mature business, the only way to drive EBITDA and EPS growth is you must consolidate. So you should bundle in streaming to make the value proposition easier for the consumer to choose you and make it harder for him to disconnect, increases the lifetime value, the bigger your bundle. And then from a, from a profitability point of view, if the top line isn't growing, the only way to get, get investors, which is my world, back into these stocks is you do what Discovery keeps doing. It buys scripts, rips out 30% of the total cost structure, buys Warner Brothers, I think it will rip out more than 30% of the total cost structure here. But the point is they can report growing earnings per share and profitability, even if the top line, and, and technically the top line does grow because it's, it's a new company you've just added. So the top line grows sort of non-organically and the earnings per share and, and operating income grows a lot faster. Wall Street can invest in that because it is growing well, I can sell my stock for more money a year from now or two years from now. So I think that's what this industry has to continue to do. It must get larger. It must be a bigger bundle of a smaller number of choices. That also makes um, competition a little less onerous, which means you're not going to get as big a losses in streaming. So I think this industry needs to consolidate and it needs to get bigger because who it's competing with is Apple TV and Amazon, which are enormous. Yeah, absolutely. And I know at your conference a few months back, one of the topics we had was around, I think we we're talking about Paramount. Um, who a buyer would be and, and kind of the group is split between uh, a streamer like Amazon or Apple and, and private equity. Uh, obviously, you know, it looks like uh, Disney put a for sale sign on ABC recently. Do you see the same decisioning there? You know, one more likely than the other or what's your take? 
I think with I think with the ABC O and O's, which Bob has wanted to sell for like a decade, I think. But but anyway, um, it's the new you know new is black. It's the new black selling O and O's. I think I think private equity could buy those because they still have like forty percent margins. So they have nice big free cash flows. So you should be able to lever them, and then pay down the debt, um, which I think is different than streaming, which doesn't make money. So um, I, I do think, you know, I don't think there's a strategic buyer that isn't up against the, the federal limits of, of their reach. So I don't know that a strategic buyer could actually be a viable buyer for um, the Disney O&Os unless they get a waiver. And I don't know how likely that is in this administration. But I do think it is an interesting asset for private equity because of the enormous free cash flow that the O&Os throw off. We're talking earlier about the the consolidation, cost cutting. Like if your top line isn't growing anymore, you've got to improve EBITDA. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. you know some people are talking about cutting content costs. Can you, if you're a sports heavy group right now on the linear side, do you see a path to growing profitability? Like a with ESPN, for instance. Like, what's the future of ESPN? Okay, so two different questions. One is the strikes really aid sports because the strikes stop all new entertainment content, which pushes people back to either the linear TV ecosystem or Fubo, which is sports first, or Direct TV. You know that that uh, Sunday ticket, which is now at YouTube TV. The only new content on television that's you haven't seen before is a sports thing. So it pushes. I think it pushes viewing to sports and it makes sports more valuable in the near term until the writers and actors go back to work. It takes both of them to start up entertainment production. So bad for Netflix because it's not hedged. It only does entertainment. They'll try to make stuff offshore. I'm not sure Americans care. But um, anyway, so sports is going to be a key beneficiary. All these companies that are not growing anymore are over levered. So the free cash flow goes to the roof because your cost of goods sold for content goes to zero against your will. So they're going to have a lot of free cash flow. Um, two of the companies said that their free cash flow, I think Warner and Paramount both said that their free cash flow is $100 million higher. And the writers were the only ones on strike in June. So $100 million, And they said if, if there, either one of them is still on strike, for a quarter, they save 200 to 300 million dollars of free cash flow a quarter that the strikes persist. So it's not really a long-term tenable solution. But as long as nobody has new content, you're not in a worse position than your would-be streaming competitor. But sports is in a better position. News also, but sports and news are elevated. I think the strikes last de facto through the end of the year because even if they solve them in October, really, who's going back to work around Thanksgiving and, and Christmas? So I think de facto we get back to work in January. And I think until then, sports, that's the NFL season, is going to have the highest ratings on television again. Yeah, fascinating. Um, what Another topic we talked about at the conference, uh, we've had a couple of guests on recently around this, uh, is the classification of YouTube as TV. Do you consider YouTube to be TV? Uh, and if, if so, or if not, why? I think the most interesting question that I'm talking about with investors right now is does the attention, the the shift to attention metric commoditize content, which is to say money has not followed time spent, meaning the revenue, ad revenue has not followed viewing into streaming in part because um, the high quality content is is basically commanding a big CPM premium or pricing premium over user generated content. Well, now there's this big move in the digital world to redefine everything as attention and not impressions. And I think the most interesting question is, if we're going to define attention, guess what? YouTube's a huge winner from that because 
almost up to like 35 years old, it's like a third of their viewing of honest connected television, which is a big screen, 50 inches, is done on YouTube. So if we're going to redefine attention as the key metric by which we're going to buy ads, YouTube's going to be a huge beneficiary of that. And the old world, you know, sort of over 50-year-old demo of premium content on a normal linear TV channel will we'll lose part of its $60 billion to some of this user-generated content. Um, so that's what I, how I think that plays out. You know, we'll see. I think attention commoditizes, the it, it undermines the fact that the content quality is so much more expensive in one realm than another. Yeah, and obviously it's, you know, zero sum with uh, your traditional networks obviously are, you know, completely against that. And you can see the mm -hmm. new measurement uh, standards and everything kind of cuts YouTube out um, they of, do. Uh, yeah, they're trying to network. define YouTube as not content and TikTok too. And I think we'll see how long that lasts because that goes against this this um, movement in the IAB to, to talk about attention, which would commoditize the content quality. Excellent. Well, I'll get you on a couple more questions. Um, you know, being at one of your panels recently, what's your favorite question to ask uh, panelists or people on webinars? My favorite question to ask um, a really smart group of panelists is, what should we be talking about that we're all missing? Or framed another way, a year from now, what happened that none of us were thinking about? Because really smart people think about like this thing about attention. Like, does it commoditize the quality of content and thereby benefit some of these digital guys? Is it like, that's the kind of thing is super inside baseball. But I think it's a really important question as we try to move the industry towards attention. So that's my favorite question is, what should we all be talking about that everybody's missing? And almost usually an expert has a point of view on whether it's video games people aren't talking about enough or consolidation or whether ESPN is bought off. People typically have a point of view on something that they think is being under under discussed in the ecosystem. Well, what should we talk be talking about that we're missing? Well, I think, I think mm -hmm. the, let me reframe that and answer the question, what are the best questions to be asking? I think the best question in the, is, can any of old media persist because it now has to compete with Amazon and Apple and Google, YouTube, um, and I guess Meta. Um, and then second, generative AI. Like nobody's missing that question on generative AI, but really literally it could be, I think there is some school of thought that it is going to be as big as the internet, which means there's enormous numbers of winners and losers. Now, media is a little protected because it's a content first business, not a tech first business. But the, the amount of content user generated guys are already using this to increase their content footprints and, and um, rapidity of, of updating their content. So I think those, you know, one is we're talking a lot about generative AI. Nobody's missing it, but I think it could be a really big valuation shift within media. Um, and then, and then um, just the size of the fangs and the fact they have, they're globally scaled, they have network effects, which gives them a huge moat and barrier to entry, and they have sort of unlimited cash. Apple has $90 billion of free cash flow a year. Like they could write a check for the Walt Disney Company from cash and have paid for the entire thing within 24 months. So, you know, is there any competitive advantage to being small? And maybe small gets to be defined as the size of Paramount and Warner and maybe even Disney. Yeah, one thing you know, tying two trends together, the the generative AI and the YouTube attention kind of user generated content, I see those as connected as well because you you know you look at the strike, 
they're obviously trying to put kind of uh, guardrails in place about the limiting this technology coming into Hollywood. And then you've got the other side of the equation, the user generated content, YouTube, TikTok, where it's, they're going to adopt it as fast as possible. And if, you know, that does get um, redefined as attention and as TV, they're going to have even more of a a cost advantage than they they have now, which is, you know, incredible. Uh, So I think that's fascinating where it's like one group is going rapidly, you know, trying to go away from this. Um, And you can see the, you know, the other side of the equation adopted. I mean, they already are adopting immediately. I think it's a really great point that a lot of people are not talking about that, that, that the user generated content guys on Instagram or on TikTok are using. And we have a number from that, from earnings. Taboola said a hundred percent of its ad buyers now are user are press, pressing the link that says have generative AI edit my head, my headlines and they find that when someone uses generative AI to best practice the headlines and personalize it for the, for the like if it gets delivered to you, it's a different headline than if it gets delivered to me, they see a 7.5% increase in click-through rates and they only get paid on click-through rates. So the AI, generative AI actually does a better job than humans in writing headlines. My point being exactly building on what you said, if the user-generated guys are using it faster and it's better because it's using a trillion, literally a trillion inputs from the large language models, the pre, basically the premium content becomes less effective because they're not using it. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, Laura, I've really enjoyed this talk. Uh, where can our audience find you? Um, lmartin at needhamco.com is my email. And... Um, and of course, they can always just reach out to you because you know how to find me. You have all my coordinates and there. And I'm happy to talk to anybody who's interested in these fields. Yeah, 100%. Well, I'm really grateful for your time. And I know our audience is going to love this conversation. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Screen Wars. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. You can find out more about Cross Screen Media at crossscreenmedia.com. Please don't forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter, State of the Screens. You can find us on social media at Cross Screen Media. Join us next time for more insights and analysis straight from the experts.